Good morning. If we haven't met, I'm Emily Schultz. I'm one of the pastors here at New Denver. Today we are continuing in our series called Sacred Soma. Soma is a Greek word that just means body, and we've said so far that your body is good, that your body is sacred, and that your body is you. Of course, we don't always feel this way. A couple weeks ago, Norton gave you a whole laundry list of concerns he's had or ways he's been insecure about his body. I figured I would just show you a picture. So this is the infamous tree picture. That is my siblings and me. I was in fourth grade. Let's zoom in a little closer, shall we? This is... Why are you laughing? Just kidding. I'm fairly confident that this is the worst photo ever taken of me, or maybe the worst photo ever taken of anyone, really. So I will let you draw your own conclusions as to what my biggest insecurities may have been growing up. Um, And we can put that away now and dive into our passage. So we will be in Romans 8, 10 through 11. The Apostle Paul wrote a letter living to the Christians living in Rome, and in it he says this, But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. How does Paul describe human bodies in this passage? He calls them subject to death and mortal Norton kept you in suspense last week as to what the key takeaway would be, but I'm just going to come out and say it today. This is what we're talking about. Your body is dying. Fun, right? When Norton asked me to preach a week in this series, I said, sure. And then he told me what I'd be preaching about. And I was like, cool, 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 cool. So your body is good. Your body is sacred. Your body is dying. Neat. I mean, it's true. We can't deny it. Today, we are each one day closer to death than we were yesterday. But when we're young and healthy, it's hard to grasp. As we get older or our body somehow fails or betrays us, this truth hits all too close to home. We suffer in our bodies. Paul says your body is subject to death because of sin. Now, this doesn't imply a one-to-one correlation that if you're sick or suffering that you did anything sinful to cause that pain. Jesus makes that clear when he heals a man born blind in John 9. But Paul is simply saying that the world is fallen and broken because of sin. And so as humans who live in a world that's not the way it's supposed to be, our bodies break down. They don't work properly and eventually we all die. There are so many ways that we suffer in our bodies. Those of you who have had a disability or disfigurement, a serious illness or chronic pain, those who have struggled with anxiety or depression or disordered eating or body image or a host of other challenges know what it's like to suffer in your bodies. Personally, I've never felt so betrayed by my body as I do right now. Most of you probably know that I got COVID in September. I had a cold for a couple days and then lost my taste and smell, so I thought I just had a really mild case of COVID. My senses were only fully gone for three or four days, and then slowly I started to be able to taste and smell things again. At first, I could just tell if something was bitter or sweet and then salty. And then over the next couple weeks, smells and flavors returned until I felt like I was almost back to normal, like 95%. 
Nothing tasted as flavorful as it did before, but it wasn't very noticeable. I ate and drank totally normally for two months, and then everything changed. It took quite a few Google searches to figure out what was wrong with me and to have a name for it, but I went down the rabbit hole and and discovered that I was experiencing parosmia. Parosmia is distorted smell, and since smell and taste are so related, I'm just lumping the two together. Here's how good old WebMD describes parosmia. Have you noticed that familiar things suddenly smell unpleasant? It could be parosmia, a disorder in which the odors of certain things, or in some cases, everything, are distorted. This happens when smell receptors in your nose, called olfactory sensory neurons, don't detect odors and translate them to your brain the way they should. Usually the smell is bad or even revolting. For example, if you sniff a banana, instead of something fruity and pleasant, your nose may pick up a foul odor like rotting flesh. Prosmia and other related smell disorders are not new. These are conditions that predate COVID, but up until now they've been rare. Now with COVID, lots of people are losing their taste and smell, and for some it returns normally with no issues, but others wind up with prosmia. Now if you Google prosmia, there are plenty of articles raising awareness about it with more and more coming out all the time, but just five months ago when I had my sudden onset of prosmia, there really wasn't much information widely available. I did find an article from the Wall Street Journal that helped put words to what I was experiencing, so I'll read you an excerpt from that. Ellen Glynn, a 46-year-old who teaches high school art classes in Elizabeth, New Jersey, lost her sense of smell completely for three weeks after catching COVID-19 in March. It partially returned, but in May, she noticed that certain familiar foods, drinks, and household products, onions, garlic, cured coffee pods, Tide laundry detergent, didn't smell right. I thought, how could all these different things have the exact same smell of dead animal, Miss Glenn said. Soon she was so repulsed that she couldn't eat most of the food she was used to eating under what she describes as her adventurous vegetarian diet. Doritos smelled rancid, iced coffee's odor made her gag. She said it smelled like someone left uncooked chicken under a couch cushion for a few weeks. That helped paint the picture for you? Everyone's experience is a little different, but common descriptions of the smell or the taste are rotting flesh, sewage, garbage, gasoline, chemicals, cigarette smoke. It's not good. The best I could do to describe my parosmia was just to call it death, or like the color black. If black or death had a taste, that's what everything suddenly smelled and tasted like to me. Eventually, I just started calling it the COVID smell or the COVID taste. So right after Thanksgiving, I get parosmia. More and more things started to smell or taste horrible, and it went downhill fast. In a matter of days, anything that I tried to eat or drink felt like absolute torture. I didn't know if it was going to taste normal or like the worst thing I'd ever eaten. And the worst was when I would take a couple bites of something and it tasted normal, and then it would turn in my mouth, and I would have to run and spit it out. It's frustrating because it's not like you can tell your brain, no, go back, you had it right the first time. About a week in, my body began rejecting all food. I ate a piece of carrot, I threw up. A bite of avocado, I threw up. I literally couldn't keep anything down because my body no longer recognized any food and thought it was all a harmful substance. My brain labeled everything as dangerous. I knew I was getting 
really dehydrated and fatigued. And so after a couple days of this, I went to urgent care and told them I had parosmia. They didn't know what it was and wrote it off as a stomach bug. Um, they did give me some really strong nausea meds to help. So after that, I would take my medicine in the morning, plug my nose, and chug a protein drink. And sometimes that was it for the day. I called it the plug and chug diet. I became very selective with what I would even try because I was able to keep the protein drinks down and I didn't want to eat anything that would make me throw up and then lose the nutrients that I could handle. I gleaned some tips through my research, so pretty quickly I knew what foods or smells or environments to avoid altogether. I bought a swimming nose plug to wear under my mask when I was in public. I couldn't go in a grocery store or to a gas station. I couldn't use toothpaste anymore. Showering was difficult because shampoo and conditioner and soap all smelled so bad. I couldn't cook for myself or my family. I couldn't even be in the same room as boiling water because the smell was so awful. I learned that cold or room temperature bland foods were my best bet, so I began to try some of those. I found I could eat plain bagels with cream cheese, so I drank protein drinks and ate bagels for about a month. Um, then I began to be able to eat some other foods with my nose plugged, so that phase lasted about two months. And then in the last month, I've seen significant improvement. The foods that I could only eat with my nose plugged, I'm now, for the most part, able to eat without plugging my nose. There's still lots of foods that feel like they're probably quite a ways off for me. Meat, nuts, eggs, coffee, chocolate, mint, anything with onion or garlic, which is a lot of savory foods, and lots of other random things. Um, parosmia can last up to two years. I'm praying that mine won't be that long. The biggest improvement is that I can now be around pretty much any smells. So most non-food smells are back to being normal, and even food smells that are still distorted or smell covid to me, I can at least stand to be around. So I can cook, I can go to the grocery store, I have a bubblegum toothpaste that I love. I'm five months in and it's no longer debilitating. I finally stabilized and have a small but growing list of things that I can safely eat. But at the beginning, I felt completely betrayed by my body. I lost 40 pounds in four months because I basically just starved. I felt so powerless. I was eating as much as I could handle, but eating and drinking is really hard when everything tastes like Satan's ashes. Maybe you feel it, maybe you don't, but whether you're aware of it or not, your body is dying. At some point or other, your body will betray you. It will stop working, and eventually you will die. Now, I said that was the big takeaway for today, but that wasn't entirely true. So let's read our passage one more time. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Your body is subject to death, but the Holy Spirit gives life. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. So here's what I want you to remember from today. Your body is dying and your body is being made new. 
Later in this chapter, Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Norton said on Easter that Jesus' resurrection was the first fruits, like the first fruit harvested from a tree in a season, which is an indicator that there's more where that came from. Norton also said last week that we get hints in the Old Testament of a future beyond the death of our mortal bodies. And the New Testament makes this clearer. Death is not the end. Jesus' resurrection shows us that death does not have the final word. Our bodies will die, but God is in the process of making all things new. He who raised Jesus' body back to life will raise our bodies back to life as well. And for those who follow Jesus in this life, we have eternity with God to look forward to. This is really important. It's really important to have a good grasp on the end of the story, to know where we're headed, to know what our hope is, especially when we're suffering. If you read further in Romans 8, Paul says, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. It's so important when we're suffering, when we're betrayed by our bodies, when we're experiencing any difficulties in life, physical or or otherwise, to know where our hope lies, to know the end of the story. The Bible is one connected story of God's work throughout history. So if we jump to the end of the Bible, the book of Revelation, we get a picture of what the end of the story will be like. Jesus will come back and defeat sin and death once and for all. His followers will be resurrected and will live with him forever in a world that is perfect, just like it was in the very beginning, before it was broken by sin. Revelation 21 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. The beginning of the story in Genesis is God living with his people in a perfect world. Sin enters the picture and messes things up, and Jesus comes as the hero to save people from their sins and restore their relationship with God. We're living in this time in between where God has begun the process of restoring all things, but it's not yet finished. The end of the story is the resolution and the bookend. It's God living with people in a perfect world again, this time forever. This is our hope, that God is making everything new, that he will create a new heavens and a new earth, and that we will live there with him and worship him forever in our resurrected bodies. If I had the power to do away with one bad piece of theology so that nobody ever believed it again, Uh, It would be a tough choice because there's a lot of bad theology out there, but I think the one I would pick would be this notion that when we die, we go to heaven and float around on clouds playing harps and singing songs forever. If we're honest, how many of us actually want to do that? 
None of us, because it's lame. I like singing as much as the next person, but if that's all we did forever, no thank you. Let me ask you another question. When's the last time you went to a zoo or an aquarium? I'm guessing it's probably been a while, so allow me to jog your memory. This is a giraffe. God made it. It's crazy looking. Or how about this one? This is a jellyfish. Ooh, ah. Uh, you know what? No, you guys don't get to look at pictures of animals you already recognize because you're all way too desensitized. So let's try these ones on for size, eh? I don't know what these are. I just Googled strange looking animals. These are what came up. Yep, that one's actually pretty cute. It's been a while since I've been to a zoo or an aquarium, but I did take a trip with my family and some friends to the Nature and Science Museum last weekend. And as we walked through the dinosaur exhibit, my two-year-old Eva was looking and pointing and saying, what's that dinosaur? What's that dinosaur? And I get it. I was slightly terrified walking through that exhibit. Those things are huge. She was in awe. You know why? Because the God who made our bodies is the creator of heaven and earth, and he is really weird. Do you need more proof? I saw more photos on Google, and I'm not afraid to show them. How can we possibly think that we'll be sitting on clouds, playing harps, bored out of our minds when we're spending eternity with that God? If I could do away with that one bad piece of theology, I would, because one, it's not really based in scripture, and two, it does such a disservice to the creativity of our God. If spending forever with God in a perfect place sounds boring to you, you need to take a trip to the zoo. You know what I think spending forever with God in the new heavens and new earth is going to be like? I think we're going to regain our sense of wonder. Kids have a great sense of wonder. Somewhere along the way, we lose that. I don't know why, we just do. We get used to the things that we once found amazing. You cut into a watermelon and a toddler seeing it for the first time goes, whoa, I didn't know it was going to be bright pink or red, watermelon colored. Outside it's green with stripes. Have you ever studied a baby studying their hands? or their toes. They are so intrigued by their bodies. My one-year-old Bailey loves just standing in front of a mirror right now, like right up close, just staring at herself. I was changing Eva's diaper the other day and she wanted to take her shirt off. She said, I want to look at my body. Phil and I glanced at each other like, huh? okay. She didn't know that we're in this sermon series and we're thinking a lot about these things. Just somewhere in her toddler brain, she has this awareness that her body is good and she's fascinated by it. Fruits, flowers, animals, sunsets, rainbows, mountains, oceans, snowflakes, the human body. Kids know that we were made for wonder. As we grow up, our wonder fades. I think when God makes all things new, he'll make new our sense of wonder. Your body is dying, and your body is being made new. I don't know exactly what our resurrected bodies will be like when Jesus was resurrected. Some people recognized him, some didn't. He showed his friends the scars on his hands where he was nailed to the cross. He ate fish for breakfast on a beach, but it also seemed like maybe he could teleport. Bible scholars talk about continuity and discontinuity, which basically just means some things will be the same, some will be different. 
It's hard to fathom exactly what life with God in our resurrected bodies in the new heavens and new earth will be like. Will we get to fly around eating cotton candy and exploring new galaxies? I certainly hope so. Or maybe we'll still be affected by gravity, but able to explore vast parts of the new earth and marvel at the new wonders God has made. You know what I bet? I bet that in eternity there will be new colors. Not like new shades of the colors we already have. Brand new colors. Our minds can't even imagine that. And I bet there's crazy new technology. If you think of all the things that humans have been able to imagine or invent and create with our limited capacity and finite brains, then how much more must God be imagining and inventing and creating and saying, oh, wait until they see this? If we can grasp the creativity of God, even a teeny tiny bit, if we can give him the credit he deserves for being amazingly creative, then I'm convinced that spending eternity with him is going to be incredible. We've got to get a better grasp on the end of the story. What is the hope that we're so patiently awaiting? God is making all things new. Your body is dying and your body is being made new. So here's my challenge for you today. When tempted to wallow, turn to wonder instead. It's natural in suffering to be tempted to wallow. I've cried to fill many nights in the past five months. I really miss pizza and chocolate cake and generally just things not tasting like death. I know some of you have experienced suffering that is far worse. When we suffer in our bodies, we cry out to God. We remember that Jesus also experienced pain and betrayal and death. We serve a God who is actually able to sympathize with our suffering. That's amazing. But at some point, We just can't live in that place anymore. We lament, but we don't wallow. We don't live as people without hope. When we're tempted to wallow, we can turn to wonder instead. We can marvel at who God is, this perfect, loving, good, powerful, creative God. We can dream about what forever with him might be like what new places there might be to explore, what new things there might be to do, what new foods we might eat. And this isn't dreaming about eternity, merely thinking what's in it for me, because our wonder to God is worship. Wonder is saying, wow, God, you made that? You did that? That was you? Spending forever with God is about worship, but it's not floating on clouds and singing. Humans are made to worship, and we all worship something. But God is the only one worth our worship. And when everything is made new, our eyes will be open to finally realize that fully and to live that way forever. When we express awe at God's power and creativity, that's praise. That's giving him our adoration, our love, our wonder is worship. Our bodies may be dying, but death will not have the last word. One day God will make our bodies new. One day God will make everything new. And we will worship him forever because when we fully see face to face who he is, we won't be able to help ourselves. We'll regain our lost sense of wonder and our awe will overflow as praise. So I wait. Why not start now? Why not give yourself over to wonder? 
We don't have to take everything for granted. We don't have to be desensitized to who God is and all he's done and all he's made. I think if we could start to live this way now, we would get a small taste of what's to come and it would remind us of the hope that we have. Don't you agree? This week as a community, let's embrace wonder. Let's take a minute every day to pause and be in awe of something. Maybe it's something in nature that God made. Maybe it's a part of the human body, which God also made. Maybe it's a feat of human strength or innovation that captures your attention, but it's actually been inspired by God and allowed by God, and we just don't usually think to give him the credit for the things that humans do. It can be really, really small, but when you notice something that strikes you as interesting this week, don't brush it off. Pause a moment and turn your attention to God. When we replace wallow with wonder, we take our eyes off of ourselves and our dying bodies, and we turn our gaze to the God who is making everything new. Let's pray. God, we we experience suffering in this life. And we need you, God. We need your healing. We need your comfort. We need your presence with us as we go through difficulties. We're so thankful that we can look to Jesus, that we, we can know that you get it, that we're not alone in our suffering. It's actually something you understand. And God, ultimately, our suffering reminds us that this is not the end. This is not what we're ultimately made for. We, we have a hope and a future with you to look forward to. So God, I, I pray that this week you will open our eyes, help us regain our sense of wonder, allow us to dream about what living with you in a perfect world will be like when there's no more death, no more sin, and no more pain. Thank you, God. We love you. Amen.